That's we did have enough money to buy the tickets. And they exchanged the money for Poland, but that would mean that we would have no, no, not you know, extra money for anything, you know, but today, that's crazy. It's so super. And I'm just great. That is so wonderful. I got your tapes. Yeah, I made no, several copies. My case I brought with me. Oh, I, want, I want a copy of my manual that I can show this yeah. timeline. I don't know, where is it, Gordon? Is it in the living room by your head? Somebody brought it in. I don't know where to put it. I don't... So Brother Gordon, all you had was your cane and your hat and your little coat. I brought it in. It's here. Large, oh, here's something. Here's here. something right, right here. Oh, 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 right up here. Something that I 
like this was wonderful that they brought that they ne never found someone that I can really relate to and talk about you know, God's kingdom is made up of big, big, big things. It's made up of a lot of little ones. That's really <coughs> one thing I learned from Brother Gordon when I first got excited about it. So I'm going to be somebody great.
seen that, Vince? No. That's a very interesting article. You get a Dick, why don't you get a copy of that? This is from 71? Yeah. That's an amazing article that, you know, that a secular person yeah. would ever write an article like that and come to the observation that he's come to in that article. Dan ought to get a copy of it. What he, what he basically is saying is that, that in essence, the goal of psychology was the same, it should be the same goal as the church. That's what he comes, that's the conclusion he comes to. He goes through all the phases of the early church and he uses the word exomalo Jesus for repentance. And these people went, in the early church went through this thoroughgoing cleansing by telling to others and to God of all the things they've done wrong. And it's really interesting to read that here's a secular guy that recognizes how important repentance is to the healing of a person's soul. Yeah, here they're, they're overthrowing Freud speculation yeah. and, and I think they're having a great big advanced research on personalities and they study the New Testament and find that they had that automatically because of Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And you know, that's, you know, you, you look at the church today and it's no wonder that what Gordon is talking about, you know, how much, how much of the Lord am I going to give my life? Well, if you don't start out with repentance, don't understand that whole concept of what repentance really is, then you can easy for somebody to say, well, I'm just going to cut the slice off now because that, that won't hurt me too much if I give you that part. But when you understand repentance and that what that involves in our personalities, then it's so inappropriate to even say, well, I'm going to give him a little piece here. I'm going to give the first finger on my hand. All the diagrams in this manual represent a whole day long of meditation and prayer with great blessing from the Lord Amen. Well, here's, here's a, an immense thing that every single Christian worker has to decide. <clears throat> We've all made ourselves supreme, haven't we? Me first. I, I wish you do double praying in the premise of this manual. I spent about three weeks full time writing those six pages. And I got my old precious trailer back on my property, which uh, which a lot of this deep first primary research was done in. So here we have a major question. We've all made me first. You get all the psychological, my, my, all the advancement, all the research, and everything else. It all springs from me first. If we become intelligent and have a viewpoint of proper thing, and me gets deflated and others get enlarged upon and got it in great big letters. If you, if you come to this, you don't need all this psychological research, what they call so masterful. Now the question is, is God going to argue with me first in heaven? Or does this change have to happen here? Of course they say that sin has to do with the sinful nature and that's a part of the body and that dies with the body and, and suddenly I'm going to love God although I don't really love him here. No moral change at death, is there? 
person, doesn't relate to the body, though your body you is used by personality torch. But this is the only thing that brings peace because it's right. And when this idea was brought out, they're praying to God because they believe that God can make them the happiest. In other words, it's proper for me to submit to God. So I'll submit to God because that's the most intelligent way and I'll be the happiest doing it. That's not submitting to God. That's trying to get God to be our servant. And I had some experiences uh, struggling, 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 trying to find some answers to people's lives. And I remember one instance uh, when I pointed this out, that, that if you're praying earnestly because, you believe, because you're intelligent enough to believe that God, that the submission to God will be the happiest way for you. And that's nothing but selfishness. That is wanting God to help me and my me first. And I experienced some foot stamping and shocking with lovely external personalities. When these persons saw that that their prayer was me first, me centered, and trying to believe that God is the most happiest life you can live, and so forth. So if we're going to do any Christian work, we have to have a decision on this, don't we? I'm so thankful that our sweet, lovely Jesus isn't trying to pick us apart in every way. He's not talking about absolute perfection. He's talking about a willingness. the Bible was the Word of God. 
So there were practically no cultural seminaries believing in full Bible inspiration. And Dallas took a tremendous stand there. Then I heard about the, the leading professors of Princeton, Robert Dick Wilson, Machen, leaving Princeton over liberalism and forming this new seminary in Philadelphia, Westminster. And I was married. We had a family. One reason I was deeply impressed, it's not a matter of theology here, because if the Bible isn't the Word of God, what good is theology? Amen. So that's the foundation of Westminster. Started about 1930. You've seen, maybe you've seen in the library, Machen's great big book on the virgin births. And so various combinations, I thought it would be better. One thing, I'd be able to work better in Philadelphia and find some way. Well, my experiences are going to be more clearly defined someday, but I made some tremendous decisions on the spot. In May 1932, I decided that I was not going to go to seminary, that I, that, that I, I was disappointed in the theology. No one ever helped me on the nature of the atonement. You know, when the present the presentation was devised in Reformation and post-Reformation times. It was never said that it was made for all. Uh, someday, you want to look over my great big massive thesis, 253 pages, on the General Baptist of England in the 1600s, when a dozen people from the revival in northwestern Europe there dared to go across the English Channel into England. And they were greatly blessed. You all heard of John Bunyan. He was one of the noble preachers who preached until Paul was into jail. Mm -hmm. And so here you have the great General Baptist revival in England. And in England there were two groups of Baptists. The General Baptists and a particular Baptist. The General Baptist said that the atonement paid literally for nobody's sin. It enabled God to forgive. The particular Baptist said that it was a literal payment of guilt and therefore had to be for the elect for everybody to be saved. And for 200 years in that in Amsterdam, the Mennonite archives were unknown. When they got opened up about 1850, I judged, 60 in there, it caused a revolution in, in history. And I, try, I worked over every bit that was translated into English. So if we could say a recovery of the main presentations in England in the 1600s among the General Baptists, I'd be very satisfied. Amen. 
the poor professor who was managing this spaces said, there's no question where your concepts are, is there? I said, Dr. So-and-so, it is a great ever effort for history. Can you find anything wrong with the history? No. He was obliged to give me a on that. Didn't agree with your theology, though, did he? No, not at all. <laughs> comes out of England, and so in the early 1880s, things were getting real critical in our seminaries of all the denominations. These denominations all had revivals. You realize that all the major denominations never planned to have a denomination, did they, to begin with? They all started by Christian experience. Amen. statement by Dr. Park after he'd been a professor and over seminary there for 40 years. I quote this sentence in my summary of the very important book. What the Bible teaches is now pretty well understood. But now the question is whether there is any Bible and whether there is any God. 
And so you can blame all the main denominations of the North hard to realize that where Chicago was fundamental in the 1890s. Hard to realize that Oberlin College gets a new president, Dr. King, 1900s. You have these, all the denominations, all being affected. So if the Bible is not the word of God, why argue about theology? see the devastations and it's part of historical study. Let me just say, I got so involved. I spent three months full time putting that thesis together. I had left my engineering position. We're living on our savings. And I'm just making a tremendous effort to gather the evidence. And I got so worked up and so blessed by what happened in 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 history. And I got to be traveling like, with these brethren in Minneapolis pressed upon me to write some kind of a summary of my efforts. And so it all got down to one crowded page there. And there I mentioned that some of my research travels not just writing books, reading books about history, but going back, going back to the periodicals and uh, seeing the presentations, the accounts revival, and so forth, which so exciting. Well, that travel went on mostly for a year and a half. It's the strangest thing that people can conceive of a salvation without me and my little tiny personality becoming conscious of the greatness of God and trying to sit down and figure out how much I want to give to God and how much I don't want to give to God. Can we find one single argument, just one, why any person loses out by submitting to God. Something wrong with God's intelligence? Who's going to come the tiniest most to understand the shocking things? The whole mystery of, of creation is, is totally beyond any comprehension. You know, it's a little, I like to pursue some of these things. A couple of weeks ago, there was a little article in the Tribune. How you have, uh, we are existing because of a sperm that hits an egg. And these little snakes that you can't see, not only have bodily resemblance, but have a personality resemblance. And how can anybody figure out incorporating into these little tiny existences 
such horrible expansion of results. And God has incorporated this to try to swell our head and say, Lord, I've got, I shake my head, I have the tiniest understanding of this, therefore I worship you. so blessed and so happy to see the genuine comprehensible theology of revival. Because when I came to these things, I thought, well, are you a lone wolf here of some kind? How can you have in trouble? So my minister friend says, Brother Olson, you're mixing justification and sanctification and you should never mix them. The only trouble is I find the next in the New Testament. And I find that God's a God of love and doesn't think it's a good idea for us to live our selfish lives. So how could God establish a salvation and bring happiness? How can I be happy with me first? I know I'm not me first. I'm not the most important person in the universe. Can I have a relation to God with a total error? So something happened in our general theological smoke here, didn't it? When I say the upset, I tried to praise the Lord. We had old-fashioned salvation in our little Methodist church. But when I start to prepare for the ministry, I have all these godly teachers who are presenting some ideas that, that you could have an established salvation without worship. And you can sit down and decide. Now, look, you don't mind, do it. No, no, no. You're just such a tiny speck of existence. And I am so great that I could speak a word and the whole world would evaporate. No, that's how important you are. No, I don't mind that you are not willing to have to leave this part. We used to sit in the class and look at each other on certain Bible courses. And we say, how are you going to handle this when it gets to this passage? <laughs> and then we kind of Look at him, well, the dear man is a very earnest man, that's for sure. He's a, he's a devoted man, that's for sure. I guess he made it. We kind of look at each other. And I, I did make this adjustment in my theology that the atonement was a literal payment for the guilt of sin past, present, and future. And this brings me into a horrible problem in Fairchild 
65-year professor at Oberlin and Phineas Successor, Jimmy Rett, has a momentous statement. Even Finney got into this eternal now, as you know. And he said, if God has no past and no future, he has no present. So to establish the proposition of theology, I got so excited a few weeks ago on indigestible philosophy. Indigestible philosophies do not answer the problems of theology. So why not say we don't know? But it's a mighty wonderful theology to have one problem. Where did God come from? So I thought I had made no one ever helped me one splash. And they're taking on every hand this literal payment of guilt is also general made for everybody. story how the Universalists in New England in the 1700s declared that everybody was saint because the Bible said it was made for everybody. If everybody's sinner paid for, everybody's going to be saved. And that's why there had to be a complete revision in the theology of revival that went on in New England and spread through the northern quarter of America. So was I shocked to see how prevalent were the ideas that I had come to. The breakdown of this whole theological structure in my I was giving every single speck that it's possible to give to try to provide, try to keep this little church from reaching out. I said, we're not ready to reach out. We need relationship with God first. I wasn't expecting anybody to get saved. I assumed this. trying to formulate, to try my best, saying the Greek text. I have no scholarly background, but I'm so thankful for the background of Greek grammar I did have. I never tended to use it much, but I was sure pressed to use it. So I was uh, preaching and praying to try to get these believers to make Jesus Lord. This wouldn't change their destination. I wasn't trying to get anybody saved. They all came to the meeting because they were believers, they said, and they were tired of modernism. And what kind of a shock do you think it was to me to have a number of these believers 
get along with God and the Word of God, we're dealing the present day. This is 34. Nobody's thinking of buying a thing that didn't need to live to exist. It's a wonderful time for spiritual thinking, of course. What's going to happen to the poor pastor? He's worked for years and years and years trying to pigeonhole his theology. And he said, well, folks, you know what? I got in my bedroom. I laid the Bible out. I came to Jesus to present every single speck of my whole life to him. And the Holy Spirit showed me I wasn't even saved in the first place. Because God doesn't think it's a good thing for me to be me first. And it's just an happy walk in the clouds of heaven. This brings another great problem on the Holy Spirit and when He enters. I have the facts before me. Here we have a lot of happy people in depression days, and they're all happier than the pastor because the pastor's having trouble with his pigeonholes. So my theology got upset because of what it seemed to me the Holy Spirit was working among us in answer to a praying, preaching of the Bible as the Word of God. Well, I've got you photocopied those six pages from my little notebook. And I spent every hour I could for my duties in preaching and teaching and visiting and so forth. I've got to know. I took a stand in my teens against some of my friends who said the Bible is not the Word of God. I took a stand and it was the Word of God. Well, did you believe the Word of God? See what it says. Go into a Greek study, take a little ABC authorized version, make yourself some calls, write down every passage that you carefully read that has anything to say about your calls. But then when you get your long list, then start going through the list, establishing your proposition. One of those, give me my Bible there. <laughs> One of the most shocking scriptures, dear the Apostle Paul. This is mine. The dear Apostle Paul. It's, it's in his, uh, it's right down there. In case. In case. Take my glass away so nothing happens. Yeah, what did they accuse me? Hmm, I see. We believe in salvation by grace. You believe in salvation, grace plus works, don't you? We believe in the salvation by grace. I sure got in trouble with what Paul said. Would you read in the 20th chapter of Acts, for example? He, he spent, now these are toward the end of his ministry. 
and the 26th chapter of Acts. My mind doesn't record how many years this was at the moment. But some of the pastors that really rocked the boat from Paul's statements. My eyes, I have a, my cataracts are growing. We have, I've got my head in my chapter on repentance. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is a complete change of mind. That's supremacy, isn't it? That's all it is. And what does he call this? Verse 24, he's preaching the gospel of the grace of God. Well, it is the gospel of the grace of God. Repentance toward God, a change of supremacy, and, and casting yourself on the atonement, a committal to Jesus. His life and his atonement. The gospel of the grace of God. And in verse in chapter 26, you know, he, he said John the Baptist preached this way, and that's what I've been preaching too. <laughs> and there you got about 24 years of ministry, something like that. And so this is the source of my complete rework. I left my editorship in 32. It was supposed to be the end of engineering. But when I got in this kind of trouble, I'm back into engineering. Finally got back in 36. Praise the Lord. Now I'm as free as a bird. I don't have to please a soul except you, dear Jesus. Amen. And all I want to know is what you have to say. And the only thing I can come up with is that man chose me first. And God is reaching out to man because this is not a happy life anywhere. God wouldn't be happy with me first. So he's made it possible for us to reverse this. What do you do when you reverse? You become intelligent. When you become intelligent, you see there's a little tiny speck. He got whole humanity. The sum total of humanity is more important than me. And then you got God. In his total supremacy. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. We need to preach the beauty, the loveliness of becoming intelligent in our viewpoints. And God says, my children used to have these little boards with white cloths here. Right on and they pull up the thing, start with a new sheet. I wrote this way to my missionaries. I'm right. I've been writing, praise the Lord, I've been writing to four wonderful students for ten years, every single month except a couple, and I couldn't. Amen. And I wrote it again with this lovely thing. People say you believe in salvation based by works. Listen, if we have written on our board all these selfish manifestations of life, and God says, if you're willing to become intelligent, I can't have you any other way. You can't live with me. You're going to have me first when me is not first. Amen. But if you will turn and be intelligent and come to me because of all the atonement and everything that's been done, I'll lift this sheet up Amen. and give you no sheet. Praise the Lord. That's grace, isn't it? Amen. 
like Jesus said, sin no more. That's the worst thing happened to you. And oh my, you know all the chapters we got there. Oh, this chapter on continuation in the love of God. Persevering not supposed to be something you don't want to do. This is supposed to be a life of what you want to do. Because you're fully satisfied that you can't find anything wrong with God. And if he wants to bring us back, and oh, my, oh, my. And if he wants to bring us back, and oh, my, oh, my.